Bird to your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a couple of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like bacon, steaks, and cheese. It's Philadelphia, Boeing shielding the cut, kicking it cooler than two penguins. Still Bo's old arch nemesis, Greg Cosell shows up and it gets real. Pull up a branch and chill, it's time to get ill with some Birds with Friends. The early bird skips the worm and prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. Bo will for you come Coming at you with stats and things, flapping their wings. You can't live up to expectations, so just do your best. (laughs) That's what I tell myself in most life endeavors. (laughs) Just go with what you saw today. Change your opinion daily. Yeah, I'm all about that. You'll be wrong often, but then you can just point back to when you were right. No one will remember. No one's listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Birds with Friends. Bo Wolf here in my basement, Sheila Kapadia there in his, and on the other line... We go to the hotline, the squawk of the town, for the first time making his Birds with Friends debut from The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, Ted Wynn, how are you? I'm good. I think that's the first time I've ever been called a squawk before, but I'll take it as a compliment. Believe <laughs> us, on, on this show, that is a, uh, that is a very big compliment. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to talk wide receivers with Ted, uh, a position that uh, we think is of interest to the Eagles, especially at the top of the draft. But before we do that, Ted, I think we do have to get you on the record on a couple things just so we know where you stand uh, in the universe of this podcast, if that's okay. Let's do it. Uh, number one, do you recline your seat on an airplane? Um, very slightly, yes. I, I, have, uh, I have some lower back problems, so, you know, very slightly, Okay. Consider it. Sheila, what's your what's your verdict there? Uh, medical condition. I I think uh, you know he said he's considerate <laughs> about it. I've uh, you know I've met Ted in person. I find him. Uh, I th- would think he would be a considerate guy. So medical condition. I'm willing to let it slide. Okay. I think uh, I think I'm okay with that. Uh, Ted, let's say that you are out to dinner with some friends, probably a group of uh, maybe eight or so, and you're at a pizza place. Would you rather order everybody orders their own individual pizza or order a few different kinds and uh, split the slices? Hold on, hold on. That's a terrible description. Uh, this this is a pizza place. Don't one of those. don't let the let the no. let let the witness answer for, on his own. But it's it's not. You're not giving him all the facts. So I just want what explain what type of pizza place it it's is. A, it, we're that. talking about like a you know like a nicer uh, pizza place with with. Uh, you know, uh, not not your not your Domino's type place. Your 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 nicer upscale place with uh, their smaller pies, I suppose, but they are uh, lots of good variety. Yeah, I just wanted to make you're you're not ordering the huge monster pie with the big you know pan at the middle of the table. I just wanted to make that clear. Okay, uh, well, I, I like to try a little bit of everything, so I like the whole family style thing. I think it's like an Asian tradition where we do. We just do a lot of family style type of dinners where we just have big plates and everybody samples a little bit of everything. So that's uh, that's how I like to do it. But if it's smaller, I can understand if somebody wants their own pizza and just wants to eat that too. Uh, but just personally, I like to do the family style just because I'm used to it and I, I get bored easily. And I just like, you know, I have ADD when it comes to food. I just like to try a bunch of different stuff. Amen. 
it's it's clear that you uh, you know which side Sheila comes on here, so you're trying not to offend him. But but we can <laughs> we can tell that you are uh, you are on the right side of this one. Last Sorry, one, Sheila. Sorry, <laughs> last I'm one. I'm counting that as a win for me. You know, no way. I, I, please. I could have easily said I'm getting this pizza. He oh, would have shared with the people who wanted to share. So I'll go I'll go to dinner with if Ted. If there's on that. one thing Sheila has established, it's that he's willing to take a, a win on something that's clearly a loss. Uh, last one. You're a, you're a man who likes to work uh, out of a coffee shop from time to time, if I can uh, judge from your Twitter appropriately. Mm-hmm. Let's say you are uh, going to a coffee shop. You know, you're, uh, you're ordering coffee. You might order a, a lunch, but you also uh, you want a seltzer with you. And are you the kind of person who would bring along your own seltzer from home to the coffee shop? Sorry, seltzer? Or, or a bottle yeah. of water, something like that. Oh, okay. Um, I, no, I, I think I would just drink the, the water that's at the coffee shop. But I, I don't drink water at coffee shops anyway. It's just like straight coffee for me. Okay. <laughs> well, he's come down. He's come down uh, <laughs> once on each side, so we're we're in good shape. I think we can proceed. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so, Ted, why don't we? Why don't you start by uh, by telling us a little bit about. Uh, why it is that that you feel uh, so strongly about the wide receiver position? Why it's it's the the one position that you like to focus on so much in the pre-draft process? And a little bit about how you just go about that that evaluation process. Uh, one, I, you know, I played I actually played quarterback in high school, so I like you know I like having wide receivers. I like uh, evaluating wide receivers. So I, kinda I think we need to. I think we little... need to. I think we need to cut you off there. And we we have. I think we have some questions <laughs> now. Uh, tell us about what kind yeah. of style of quarterback you were. Okay, so here's the big review. I, I played in a triple option. Oh so yeah, I was like a running back. We threw the ball five times a game. It was like the pass. The passing game was like a trick play for us. Love so, uh, <laughs> but I treasured every time we passed the ball. But I was a triple option quarterback, so I was basically like another running back. Um, but you know, naturally, when you're throwing to guys, you kind of have a, a feel for who, what type of receivers they are. You kind of evaluate them uh based on that and i think that kind of just carried on to what i focus on in the draft i like wide receivers i think uh, they're a fun position to uh fun position to break down for sure so did you have uh like recruiting letters from uh, air force and navy and uh, georgia tech <laughs> no no i didn't but i did <laughs> talk to a washington scout one time at a camp but i just uh nobody runs a triple option anymore mm. so you know those triple option quarterbacks just aren't uh, aren't in high demand Okay. I mean, I got recruited to the army, but everybody got recruited to the army. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you have uh, you have broken it down um, on the athletic to the you know the big receivers and the the speed receivers. Tell us uh, a little bit about why you do that and uh, what you know how how you differ. I mean, it's it sounds obvious, but but uh, if there's a guy sort of on the fence, how you sort of differentiate those? Yeah. So so it's like they're different skill sets, you know. So like. Uh, for a bigger receiver, they won't need as much separation as a smaller receiver. Their route running will look different because sometimes they're just trying to position themselves uh, for the quarterback to throw a good uh, a pass to where they could get a contested catch, whereas a smaller guy has to create separation because he's not going to be able to outmuscle guys. So they're different skill sets. So I just like to break down all the bigger guys first. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with size, although it does correlate, obviously. Uh, but there, there are you know some six foot receivers that play like six five receivers, and there are some six five receivers that play like small receivers. So it doesn't uh, have to do with size per se, but you know it does kind of fall down to that 
down to that at the end of the day, most of the time. Uh, but yeah, they have different skill sets. So I like to judge them separately. I've created two big, uh, two rankings, one for big receivers, one for shifty receivers. And then after all that, I put them all together in a top 10 and just rank them as uh, receivers as a whole rather than uh, their skill set. This is, of course, on The Athletic. You can read Ted's pieces. They were uh, outstanding, grading each wide receiver in a variety of categories and showing you uh, the film on each one. And I think we're going to get to some of these big receivers first, and we'll ask you about them. But I did want to ask, I was, so I was reading your uh, piece, and uh, why don't we just get started with, with this guy, Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, and uh, you know what you wrote about him and just kind of what your impressions were. And then I'll kind of ask you my follow-up question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With Harry, um, I came in with big, big expectations, but I didn't try to you know, let that affect my judgment at all. Just because he had so much hype. There was a, uh, there's some people that are ranking him as their number one receiver. Uh, but I saw a guy that really struggled against press coverage. Um, if you go back to the Oregon game, he got, he, he got out muscled in press coverage and you know, you don't see a lot of, press coverage in the Pac-12, so you really want to find those small samples. And in the samples I saw, he just didn't look very good. He made his moves a little too early. He, it looked like he had some spatial awareness problems. But then he also is, if he does get a free release, you could really see his athleticism, his ability to change directions. And he's just really, really good at contested catches. Uh, so he's a really good jump ball guy. But And he gets a lot of his productions from yards after catch. Uh, so that is not very translatable to the NFL. You're not going to be able to get as many yards after catch as you did in college just because guys are less athletic than you than uh, you would in NFL. So I thought he was a little overrated in the right offense where they could free him up. He could be productive. Uh, but for a guy that I want as a number one, I don't want to have to keep him open and do that much work to keep him open. Yeah, but when I... upside in Harry. Yeah, when I read your piece, the, uh, the these two things came to mind. I was trying to think which of these traits would be translatable to the NFL. And so when you write about a guy, you know, that he, you know, creating separation might not be his strong suit and that he's winning these contested catches, that makes me a little bit nervous because I don't know how, my, how transferable that's going to be to the NFL. You know, I, I think some guys, it's certainly a special trade and we'll get to some of the other guys here who I thought were, you know, I felt like they were elite at that skill and you could really see, okay, this, you know, this guy in the NFL is going to be doing the same thing. But if it's a matter of, you know, out muscling smaller cornerbacks, guys who are not, you're not going to be facing at the next level, that would make me a little bit nervous in terms of spending a first round pick on a guy. And I totally agree with you in terms of yards after the catch. You know, I think way too many of these guys get labeled as, well, they're great after the catch because, you know, it's a couple plays here and there, but I feel like with some of them, you can just see, all right, that certainly was a nice play, but is that going to be the same play, the same gain uh, in the NFL? So uh, with Harry, you know, he, he's six foot three. Um, some people might think, all right, is he someone the Eagles might be interested in? Uh, you know, I think his fit with the Eagles would kind of be maybe as a, uh, you know, a big slot right away, perhaps. And then he can maybe move, move outside and replace Alshon Jeffrey eventually. But, you know, just my take after reading your piece and then doing my uh, amateur YouTube scouting, I, I felt like that would not be a good option for the Eagles in the first round. Well, I, I would like to just uh, quickly follow up. Do you think that uh, the slot is, 
is a place where Harry could play in the beginning of his career. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's I would think that's his best fit, especially okay. early early on before he learns the nuances of getting away from press, which you'll see a lot more on outside. And the Eagles have a very good scheme that uses motion and that kind of thing where they could free him up, so that could be a good landing spot for him. But first round is a little rich for me, for, for Harry, especially with all the really good receivers, I think, in this draft. It is interesting, uh, and we can talk about this later, Shield, but uh, you know, it, you would think that maybe because the Eagles have that 12 personnel grouping with, with Goddard and Ertz, that if they want to complement that with their slot receiver, it wouldn't be a big slot. It would be more of a uh, shifty, quick guy so that you're giving the offense a little bit of a different dynamic when you're in 11 versus 12. But uh, I guess we will find out if the Eagles feel that way. Let's go to uh, the next guy in your big receivers rankings. And, and this is a player who I think didn't have a lot of uh, buzz heading into the combine and then sort of blew up the combine and everybody sort of went back uh, to watch him. And, and it, it seems like the uh, the tape actually sort of matched what the uh, athletic testing said. And that's Miles Boykin of Notre Dame. Yeah, so Miles Boykins, I, I knew about him, but I didn't really watch him too too closely when he was at Notre Dame. Then he blew up the combine. He probably the best overall combine. Metcalf, all the headlines, but if you look at the overall numbers, Boykins probably had the best combine of every receiver. Uh, went back and looked at tape, and there was a lot to like. He, he was a little inconsistent with press in 2017. 2018, he got much better, and uh, you could see he – People think he looks slow because he's a long strider, but he separates and uh, he runs really crisp routes. Uh, but he just had a lot of quarterback problems at Notre Dame. That offense isn't one that really pushes the ball downfield. They're more of a ground and pound uh, pro style team. And the quarterback just missed a lot of opportunities where Boykins was clearly open downfield. Uh, so that really hurt his production. Uh, but there is a lot to like about Boykin's game. And if he lands somewhere at the bottom of the first to uh, a good team that knows how to utilize, utilize him, he could be, I think, very productive uh, right off the bat. Yeah, I'm really interested to see where this guy goes. I mean, six foot four, uh, like you said, he tested in the 99.9 percentile in terms of athleticism when you look at uh, when you look at Spark and combine all those different factors. And that's interesting what you said about him being a long strider, because when I was watching him, I did feel like this guy doesn't look like he's, you know, that fast or uh, running by people. I thought where it did show up was when he had like a head of steam with the ball Mm -hmm. in his hands. And it was just like this monster in the, uh, in the open field that was really, really tough to bring down. And and Ted, I thought you highlighted in your uh, piece there, a couple of, of his releases were like, Really good, really impressive. So that that mm-hmm. would kind of probably encourage, I would think, NFL teams that are. Right, it's just a matter of uh, more reps and working on it. But you can kind of see that that is there on film, even if it's not on every snap, right? Yeah, exactly. There, there was just some times where he just tried to rely on his his strength too much, to try to run through guys instead of really trying to put the moves on the line of scrimmage. But when he did, you could tell that they were convincing enough fakes and. He had a good feel for how to beat press uh, when when he was actually trying to uh, be a little more nuanced instead of just running through these guys. Okay, next up in your uh, in your big receiver rankings at number three is a guy who I think you are probably a little bit higher on than sort of groupthink. Uh, and this is a player that I, I sort of struggle with for some of the reasons that uh, Shield talked about before with Harry 
in that, you know, you wonder whether contested catches sort of out-muscling little, little guys is going to translate to the next level. But Stanford's J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is, uh, I, I guess, you know, as you have graded him, as good as there has been uh, in terms of contested catches. I know uh, that some of the people who, who sort of grade that stuff say that he grades out very highly in that capacity, uh, 6'2", 225. Tell me, sell me on why uh, that is translatable for, for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Well, if, if it's a guy that is just good at contested catches and he had to rely on it so much, then I'd be a little iffy on him. But this guy is uh, just on another level when it comes to being able to position himself and catch jump balls and uh, cause penalties. Uh, I mean, this was almost all he did was at Stanford. People knew it was coming, and they couldn't stop him. And, they, you know, they had to try to run, get through his body, and then uh, he would get flags thrown at him. Or he would just post up like a basketball player and guys just couldn't move him off his spot, and he would jump up and get, catch those passes. Uh, so he is elite in this, this category, and he might be the best contested jump ball receiver that I, I've seen in college. He's that good, and he separates more than people give credit for. And uh, I saw this before he ran the 4-4-9 at the Stanford Pro Day, so that didn't really move the meter much for me. He separates more than people uh, give him credit for. He has that speed. Uh, but like Metcalf, he could struggle with start and stop routes because his um, his change of direction when it comes to uh, stopping on a dime is just not very good. He kind of takes a lot of steps to do it. Uh, but he's so good at catching those contested passes, and he is really good at beating press coverage. He shows some really nifty moves. Uh, so when you combine those two things together, I think uh, he can be good despite being – a little one-dimensional, but I think that dimension is so strong uh, that he's going to find a place in the NFL and be at least a, a very good number two receiver, in my in my opinion. Yeah, Ted's piece really uh, sold me on him when I when I watched that and then looked at uh, some of the other clips. I mean, he with him, I, I don't know if this is like a you know a difference that matters or not, but you know some of the guys it just felt like all right, they're bigger than the defensive back and they're making the catch with him. It felt like he had a plan like every time and he knew exactly what he was doing on these jump balls in the red zone. He was a uh, absolute beast. And yeah, it really did look like he was just boxing guys out time and again. And there were so many pass interference calls uh, against him that it was really impressive. He just looks like a guy, he's 6'2", 225 pounds, but he knows uh, how to use his body, whether it's uh, shielding defenders on slants. I thought he feels like a guy that, you know, some uh, front office types or coaches would really like. He just brings like a toughness and uh, sort of like physicality on every snap where he, he's looking to kind of take it to uh, the opponent. So he was someone that wasn't on my radar as much until I read uh, Ted's piece. And then I, I found him really intriguing in, in terms of fit uh, in an NFL offense. Ted, is he, do you see him just as an outside receiver? Could he be kind of a beast uh, in the inside making tough catches in traffic or is that not really his skill set? I think he really belongs on the outside. He's so good at beating press coverage, and he's so big. Uh, he really reminds me of uh, those old, you know, Charger receivers that they um, mm. that the Chargers really tried to get for uh, Philip Rivers back in the day with Vincent Jackson, Malcolm Floyd, and those guys. He he kind of really reminds me of those that type of mold. So I, I I could see the Chargers really liking him for maybe Philip Rivers. They they lost uh, Tyrell Williams, uh, so this could be a guy that they they like. I like that comp. All right, next up, 
the man who has the uh, the turning radius of a battleship, Mr. DK <laughs> Metcalf, who uh, who can uh, blaze uh, ahead as good as anybody, but uh, but literally cannot change direction. Uh, DK Metcalf, who has you know has had injuries, but uh, blew up the combine with his four three three. He's a he's a big, strong, powerful man, as we like to say, but but not a ton of track record. So uh, this is, uh, I think, as um, sort of a wide variance a uh, receiver as there is in the whole draft. You know, you could tell me, you could convince me that he's going to be a, an all pro in a couple of years, and you could convince me that he's going to be out of, out of the league before his rookie contract is even up. So, uh, so where do you come down on, on DK Metcalf? So with Metcalf, the change direction is concerning, but I, I just think that his other physical tools are so dominating that he doesn't need a, a huge route tree to dominate. Um, so we talked about Whiteside, who, who couldn't really change direction. Metcalf is faster and more explosive. Uh, so he, 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 and he also offers a lot of yards after catch capability. And it's not just one of those things where he's beating small guys in, in college. He'll be able to beat some of those defensive backs in the open field when he gets, when he gets to the NFL, too, just because of his, uh, his phys- physical skill set. And uh, my comparison for him is Dez Bryant. Dez Bryant didn't have a huge... Uh, route tree, but he was so explosive and violent that he was able to win with a small route tree, and I could see Metcalf kind of uh, doing that to the NFL. Yeah, that was a good com- when you when you made that comparison. I looked up uh, Des Bryant's uh, you know testing when he came out, and I, th- I think he was a little bit better, but it, it certainly was in the same ballpark. So that was interesting. I, I felt like when I watched the Metcalf clips, it wasn't his like. Uh, you know, size and physicality that was standing out. Like he was just running by guys mm-hmm. uh, left and right. I'll, you know, you were making the point earlier that some, you know, six, three guys play like a five eleven guy or vice versa. Like, you know, if you would have just told me he was like a, a five eleven receiver and just like a crazy vertical threat. I mean, you see that uh, on film also. So he obviously had the neck injury uh, last year and the testing that Bo mentioned there. So, I still feel like a team is going to be, unless, unless there's concerns about that neck injury, I feel like a t- he's going to go higher than people think where, you know, you just look at him and say, all right, physically, if we can't make it work with this guy, then maybe that's more on our uh, coaching staff than him. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. No, it's definitely, he's definitely a, a boomer bust prospect. Like there is very high ceiling there, but the change of direction is concerning and the, the lack of production is concerning. He was, Leading, um, he was leading Ole Miss in production uh, before he was injured, but he just never really put together a very uh, any productive seasons. Uh, so he that's concerning as well. So he, he he is a big boomer bust, but I I could see the the Bills really falling in love with him and drafting him. I think they they're number nine or number eleven, uh, but you know they need a weapon for uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen's his best weapon is his ability to throw the deep ball. Uh, so I, I could see maybe the Bills falling in love with them and picking him um, top ten, I believe, or top eleven. I like that one too. I like that one too. I mean, they almost tried. They, they tried to trade for Antonio Brown, so you know th- that they wanted to uh, commit resources to the position. So I like it. Ted bringing the Ted bringing the uh, connecting the dots. I like that. Uh, and then your number yeah, one. Only... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No. Uh, your number one. I, I feel like this is uh, this is the official Ted Win receiver of this draft. I think I think if I remember correctly, Cortland Sutton was your guy last year, and that turned out to uh, to work out pretty well. He had a good rookie season. Hakeem Butler, 
of Iowa State. Six five two twenty seven is the uh, the official Ted Win guy in this draft. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's my number one guy. Uh, last year, I I didn't really feel too strongly about the receiving class, but I, I did like Sutton as my number one. Uh, but the last time I I really felt good about a wide receiver was Michael Thomas, uh, who went to the Saints and is very good. I, I have that same feeling with uh, with Butler just because he's huge, six uh, five and three eighths. Uh, but he he's able to bend and get low like a small receiver and change directions. Um, he shows some football IQ. He knows when to settle into zones. Uh, he knows how to find open space when his quarterback is breaking the pocket. Uh, so he just shows every trait that you want a receiver. He has. He's not maybe not ex- as explosive as a Calvin Johnson, but four four eight at his size is still very very impressive. Uh, so the only thing with Butler is he has a high drop rate. But when you watch him, he plucks the ball out of the air with his hands. He's a hand catcher. Um, he just loses focus at times. So I think this is a problem that could get fixed. Uh, but uh, even if he does drop a few passes, I think he's going to make enough plays to where, to where that doesn't really bother you as much. This is an interesting one because it feels like, you know, uh, draft Twitter is all over this guy and mm-hmm. feels like Hakeem Butler is the number one guy. Uh, and then, you know, some of the analysts who might be, uh, you know, talking to scouts or front office types who are connected to the league. It feels like he, he's not by any means a consensus first round pick other than the drops, Ted, what, you know, kind of play devil's advocate to your own opinion there. Uh, what do you potentially see as, Hey, if, you know, this is, might be how scouts or front office people or even coaches in the league are looking at him and why they're not as enamored with him as maybe you are. Um, so I, I think the two criticisms I've heard, uh, was that he played in a weak conference. So that's why he was so productive, but you still see all the traits there that you want to see. So I, I can't really buy that excuse too much. I mean, you know, Baker Mayfield, you could say Baker Mayfield played in the big 10 and he, that's why he, that's the only reason why he's productive. So I, I don't really buy that argument too much. And the second thing I've heard was that he struggles against press coverage, but I didn't see that on the film. I mean, if, if there's one receiver that struggles with press, it's, uh, it's Harry. Uh, so I didn't really see him struggle with press. I think he was a little inconsistent. Like he could have got his hands up a little quicker, to knock the, knock down some early jams instead of using his hands a little late in in the press in trying to get um, open from press coverage. Um, so maybe his his technique is a little inconsistent, but he's shown enough to where you could say he's going to be good at beating press coverage if he just consistently does what he needs to do. Uh, so uh, those are the only real two criticisms I've heard I've heard of him. But I mean, Michael Thomas dropped all the way to the second round. I thought he should have been a top ten pick that year. Um, so the scouts don't always get it right. So yeah. We'll- and it, it, it does. Oh, go ahead. Bob. No, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and it also feels like every year, like the, you know, 24 hours before the draft, all of a sudden, you know, somebody from, uh, NFL network or Adam, somebody says, Oh, don't, you know, don't be surprised if this guy goes in the first round. I, and I feel like if there's a guy this year, it could be him where all of a sudden it's like, okay. Um, cause, cause when Ted did show in the film, the high football IQ, that was kind of the most interesting part, I thought, of the breakdown to me. Because if he does have that sort of feel for coverages and that type of deal at 6'5", uh, 
tested well athletically, averaged 22 yards per catch last year, huge catch radius. I mean, I haven't heard anything bad about him uh, in terms of like off the field or character or anything like that, uh, unless I'm missing it. So it just sort of um, feels difficult to find a, a reason why uh, in this receiver class, he wouldn't be right up there with any of the other guys. I was going to say the one other knock that I have heard on him is that uh, people complaining that he wasn't able to beat out Alan Lazard last year, uh, who went undrafted into the into the league as a senior. But I think that is a, that's an unfair expectation to have a sophomore beating out a senior, uh, you know, an established starter senior. I think that's a, that's a little bit unfair. Uh, one other big yeah. guy I want to ask you about, Ted, who who is not on your list, but but who's sort of intriguing to me is Kelvin Harmon of NC State. Was he mm-hmm. was he close to your list? Do you have any uh, opinions on on Kelvin Harmon? Yeah, so it was between Harmon and Harry at uh, at the number five spot, and it was interesting because Harmon is a more polished receiver, uh, one that does a little bit of everything well. Harry is a guy who has some holes in his game, but the up, uh, high upside there. So I ended up going with upside guy rather than the the guy where you know what you're going to get. I, I think that Harmon is going to be pr- productive in NFL. I just don't think he has that star potential. I, I have one last question on the uh, big guys here. So three of them, Boykin, uh, Butler, and Metcalf, it seems like they are all high upside guys. Let's say that you know uh, all three of their careers – are sort of, you know, are, are their their potential is maximized. Uh, rank them in sort of order of who has the highest upside if everything we say needs to go right does go right. Sorry, who who are the three that you mentioned? Uh, uh, Boykin, Butler, and Metcalf. Uh, I'd say Butler one just because of his uh, his IQ and just overall skill set. Uh, Boykin, too, and, you know, he changes direction better, and I think he shows a little bit more uh, smarts on the field. And and Metcalf, three, just because the change of direction does bother me. Interesting. I, I, and like I said, I think he's going to be dominating enough to where he doesn't need a huge route tree. But for me, I, I, I want a guy that could do, do it all. Very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's move to the, the speed guys. And you've been uh, very generous with your time, Ted, so we can uh, try to go a little bit quicker through these, but the, the two Ohio state guys at four and five, if you want to take them together, Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin, who I think uh, sort of came on as a senior uh, and then made some ways at the senior bowl as well. Yes. So Campbell is the guy who gets all the headlines because he makes all the splashy plays. Uh, he, he's a gadget player. He's a guy that's not just, he's not going to run. Uh, like post corners and uh, more complicated routes. He, he just, most of his routes are just drags underneath, uh, fly sweeps, tunnel screens, that kind of thing. Uh, so he, he's kind of building that Percy Harvin mode. And I, I'm not sure why those guys get so much hype because they're nice to have an offense for sure, but you have to do a lot of work to get them the ball. And they're not, that impactful. I, I don't. I don't believe they're as impactful as even a, a good number two receiver. Uh, but with Campbell, you could see some potential for him to be more than just a gadget player. But that's a big projection. You're you you're, say, you're saying that this gadget player who didn't do a lot of complicated things in college is going to be able to do it at the next level. Um, so I see some of that potential there. Uh, but 
I just can't rank, put a gadget player up in, in the first round for me. Yeah, he feels like the prototype for uh, it will depend on what coach and scheme he goes to. I mean, you can see him go into a team where uh, without a strong offensive coach where they're trying these different things and it seems like a disaster. And then you could see him going to a smart offensive coach and it's like, why didn't this guy go sooner? I do think with a lot of the prospects, you, you know, you always hear the term, you just got to kind of get the ball in his hands and I, that's totally overused. It seems to really mm-hmm. fit with him just watching him when you watch his, you know, some of his best clips at Ohio State. Like he could just reach a gear that a lot of guys cannot get to. And he is fun when he gets out in space or uh, or in the open field. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, it's just harder to scheme these guys the ball than people think it is. You know, everybody's like, oh, just get him the ball somehow. But yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds, especially when the defense knows that that's all he can do. Uh, so it's a little tougher. That's why I don't put as high of a value on the, uh, those type of players. And I, I like Terry McLaurin's pro potential a little bit better. Um, I mean, he was invited to the Senior Bowl partly because of the special team's value, but he came out and he just was arguably one of the best players at the Senior Bowl. Uh, in his one-on-ones, he just showed really quick, efficient feet, beating press coverage. Then the ability to separate was was there. He just got on top of guys really quickly. Uh, you saw the route running skills. He caught almost every single pass thrown to him at senior bowl practices. Uh, then you go back and watch his film, and then um, you could kind of see why he didn't produce as much. Ohio State just – their thing is just rotating skill players, whether it's their cornerbacks or their running backs or receivers. They just rotate a lot of guys in. It's kind of hard to um, catch a rhythm when you do that. Uh, so, yeah, he has a bit of a lack of production, but I think there's a lot of good traits that – you want to see a receiver, and uh, yeah, he's very fast too. He did well at the combine. Uh, there's just a lot to like with him, and he has special teams value. Next up, we have uh, DK Metcalf's teammate AJ Brown from Ole Miss, who was uh, six foot and a half, two twenty-six, a much more productive college career than uh, Metcalf, his counterpart, and uh, a different type of player. I, I enjoyed uh, your breakdown of him. Uh, definitely much more of a, uh, a change of direction guy and, and some pretty good route running moves. Yeah. He, he's a really interesting player. He's uh, he has a very unique body. He's six foot tall, but he's, he's, he's very lengthy for a six foot tall guy. And he's 226 pounds, which is like in a 90 percentile for receivers. So he's built like a big running back with long arms. Um, and he is, I think could be a very, very good true slot receiver in the NFL. So I don't think he's super scheme dependent, but if you if he goes to a team that knows how to use slot receivers and a quarterback that likes to throw the slots, I think he could be very very productive. Um, he takes a little while to build his speed. He needs a few steps to really get to full speed. But once he gets to full speed, he gets to fly by guys. Uh, and his first step is kind of a reason why he's not great against press uh, because guys just aren't very threatened by his first step and they could just stay on top of him. Uh, so if you could find, uh, but he doesn't struggle as bad as some of the guys we talked about against press. He's just not, that's not a strong point. Um, so, but he's a very interesting uh, receiver. If he goes to the right team, he could be very, very productive. Uh, I, I like Brown a lot. I should add for, uh, for our listeners that the Eagles reportedly brought Brown in for uh, one of their 30 pre-draft visits. So, uh, someone that they're obviously, uh, keeping an eye on. And, and I think he would be a good fit in sort of that, uh, potentially replace Nelson Aguilar this season and then maybe move to the outside eventually. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I could definitely see him being uh, a good fit in that offense and um, being a good fit for Carson Wentz. Um, I, I think I didn't make this comparison first, but he reminds me of a lot of uh, Quincy Anunwa from the Jets. Okay. Uh, hmm. Yeah, bigger guy that you know he catches catches the ball and he's not just trying to outrun everybody in the open field. He could actually like truck some defensive backs and maximize yards. Um, so, like, you, you know, when you when you think of yards after catch, it's not all. It doesn't always have to be a big explosive play. Sometimes there's guys that just know how to get that extra three to five yards, and that's important in an offense too. And I think Brown has that ability. Is he the most rocked up wide receiver in this class? Uh, Metcalf is uh, Metcalf. Oh, okay, Metcalf. right, right, right. right. Okay, yeah, what was I thinking? <laughs> all right, well, the yeah. the most rocked up slot receiver. How about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. The, I don't might, know what one of this... those receivers and old Miss, but uh, <laughs> those guys are huge. <laughs> uh, you talked about McLaurin's uh, really good Senior Bowl performance. I think uh, just as impressive, if not if not more so, was Debo Samuel from uh, South Carolina, another sort of jack of all trades, do it all type receiver. He is your your number two shifty wide receiver. Yeah, he his so he's like a slot too, but he's six foot tall so he's not just a small slot uh he he runs routes extremely crisp i mean he was just like embarrassing guys at the senior bowl with his, his footwork uh he reminds me of uh dj moore but Moore really struggled against press coming out of college we uh, loved dj moore on this uh, podcast just so you know oh yeah <laughs> I, I liked him a lot too he just struggled against press uh but debo reminds me of Moore, but he um he doesn't struggle against press. He's actually really good against press coverage. Um, so Debo is definitely an interesting prospect. Um, I could see him getting drafted at, at the bottom of the first, um, but maybe some people don't. Like I said, this is a big, this is a strong receiver class. Maybe some they prefer size in the first round, but I could see him sneaking into the bottom of the first. I actually, I you know, I, I've heard people saying this is not a great receiver class because there's not a ton of guys at the top. And I know Daniel Jeremiah tweeted uh, today that he thinks it's possible that only one receiver goes in the first round. But I kind of like this. I, I kind of like the like, sort of uh, below the very top, the depth of this wide receiver class. It seems like maybe like three to fifteen. It's as good as most, uh, you know, better than most draft classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't, I don't think there's like three three guys that do. You- might go in a top 15, but, um, you know, I think Butler belongs in a, a top 15. But like you said, yeah, that kind of bottom first tier, there's a lot of, uh, there's a log jam of guys that you could draft there. Yeah, it feels like uh, there are a lot of guys who would be clumped together where it would be really tough to say, you know, predict from one to 10, here's going to be the most productive guys in five years. But I, I would agree with you, Bo. I think like rounds two, three, and four, there are a lot of guys. And even after that, like if you're looking for a guy with a specific sk- skill set, um, those are there. I, I really uh, like Debo Samuel. He's one of my favorite guys in this class based on uh, Ted's breakdown and then watching some more. He just plays with like uh, a real like competitive edge, a feistiness to him. I felt like he was making some crazy one-handed grabs. He was really good mm-hmm. in traffic, like fearless in the middle of the field, very good in the red zone, uh, a lot of fun with the ball in his hands. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like if he, I don't know, if he, you know, we, we talk about with the Eagles, if they were to replace Nelson Aguilar, like I feel like Samuel could come in right away if they traded Aguilar, play the slot, and be really good as a rookie. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, Debo, 
with, I think, a tr- he, he, he could play on outside too. So I think there's some versatility there. I, I don't think you just have to uh, peg him the slot. I, I think he's skilled enough and good enough against press coverage where you can't put him on outside and he could be productive there too. Um, and, but that's part of his value. You can move him inside, outside. All right. The top of your shifty wide receivers. It's very, I, you know, I've done a good job not slipping on the word shifty, which I think is, is impressive. But uh, <laughs> I was worried about using that word for that very reason. <laughs> yeah, for the URL in case it got, in case it got off. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're betting on an outlier here. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm all in on you with this guy, but uh, he is 5'9 and 3 eighths. That's the eighth percentile of, of wide receivers. 166 pounds. That is tiny. It's the first percentile. Uh, you know, uh, small wingspan, short arms, small hands. But uh, incredibly fast, incredibly twitchy, and incredibly productive at Oklahoma. Marquise Hollywood Brown, who has uh, gotten a lot of Deshaun Jackson comps, could he uh, be a fit for a team that already has Deshaun Jackson? Uh, yeah, because Jackson plays a lot on the outside. I think Brown, you could move him inside, and you could have both of those guys on the field at the same time. Um, but, yeah, he, he's small, but when you watch him on film, he just jumps off the film with how fast he is and um, how quickly he can change directions, how smooth he is. Um, I, I posted a clip on Twitter uh, with him just outrunning a whole defense after catching a short pass. And somebody, um, somebody put, he runs like Gale Sayers. And um, I thought that was a kind of a, a cool visual comp, a comp just because Gale Sayers was so smooth running. And you get that same feeling when you watch uh, Brown. So his movement skills are just really special. And on top of that, he's, I think he's the best, nuanced route runner in this class he just does a bunch of little small things in his route running where you're like wow that's really mature of him you don't usually see young guys make those type of moves and part of that probably has to do with the fact that he trains with antonio brown who himself is a very nuanced route runner uh too uh, obviously the the big not, uh, big thing with him is his liz frank injury uh but so far there's been positive feedback on when he'll return uh, but if we're just looking straight at the film, uh, this guy is just, he's a top shifty receiver in this draft and maybe in a top shifty receiver that we'll see come out in a while. He's just special when you, you watch him on film. You, you mentioned, you know, maybe obviously if the Eagles were to take a guy like this in the first round, he, I, I think he would see a lot of his reps in the slot, at least as a rookie. Is there a comparison of a guy who, you know, he would sort of fit in their mold as somebody who lines up in the slot with his skill set. Cause obviously 166 pounds, that's not someone you want uh, making those tough catches over the middle and uh, you know, getting rocked on, on third down, that kind of thing. It would be a very different type of slot receiver. So, I mean, you said you still think he could fit there, um, but do you have to kind of schema, you know, play to a guy's strength if he is playing that role at that weight? Yeah, I mean, so he wouldn't be the Julian Edelman type of receiver where you're running a lot of option routes underneath, uh, catching the ball on the second level. He'd be, he'd be a guy that would be – you're throwing intermediate to deep routes um, from the slot with, and you're just trying to take advantage of that, um, that nickel uh, defender. So, uh, you know, everybody's looking for the next Tyreek Hill. I think this is the closest that you'll get to Tyreek Hill uh, if he's healthy. He's just, he's that explosive and he'll, he plays in the slot a lot too, but he's not catching those short passes. He's going deep. He's running down the steam. Uh, so I, I would say that's my comparison for, um, 
for Hollywood Brown. And I know that's kind of lofty, but I, I think that's the closest you'll get to Hill just because he's so explosive. Makes sense. I have one other guy to ask you about, Ted, if you will indulge me. I don't know if you have had a chance to watch. Keyshawn K.J. Johnson from Fresno State. No, I haven't seen him. I saw that uh, ah. Jones Drew had him at number one. Really? Which was, um, yeah, I think so. I think he had him like as number one, or at least just saying he, he's his favorite receiver in a draft. And um, I, I thought that was interesting. I didn't get a chance to watch him yet. I was like, maybe it's the case that he just knows him and he's trying to get him some <laughs> right. hype. Um, but I haven't seen him yet. Have, have you guys watched him? I've, I've watched, I have uh, like, you know, a YouTube highlight or two, and and I like him, but and I like his I like his statistical profile, but that's that's about all I can tell you. Okay, yeah, that's a guy that um, I have to ch- check out from uh, Fresno State. All right, you you uh, you call us back in a couple in in a, in a couple of days when you had a chance to watch <laughs> KJ Johnson. You you already got a head start. Right? You got you got to do the scouting report for the athletic on uh, KJ Johnson. Now. That's right. Uh, is there is there anybody else who you didn't have a chance to highlight in your in your top five uh, who you think is is sort of a, a late round sleeper that you like that, that you think has some high upside? Um, I, I like Hunter Renfro. When you watch him on tape, there's a lot to like, but he he's just so small. I mean, we, we talk about <laughs> Brown being small, but he has that just crazy explosive ability. Uh, Hunter Renfro is just he has such an underdeveloped body. And he just doesn't have that speed to kind of uh, make up for it or that explosive ability to make up for it. But when you wa- watch the tape, it's just a lot to like uh, with his route running, his football IQ, his feel for the game. Um, but that, that small frame scares me. And uh, another guy that everybody likes a lot, um, Andy Isabella. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I, I like him too, but I just I don't like him as much as everybody else. I don't think he's a true slot. He actually, his route running is not very crisp. He's a body catcher, so his catch radius is smaller, even smaller, uh, because he can't go out. He doesn't reach out for the ball consistently. Um, he plays outside a lot, and that whole offense was built around him. So that's the reason for his uh, production. Uh, but I, I, there's value there, but I just I wouldn't draft him in the first three rounds. I think the fourth round would be a good good pick for him. Um, I think that's going against some um, of the group think going right now because a lot of people seem very high on Isabella. Uh, but I, I don't see him in the – I wouldn't draft him in the first two, two three rounds. I think Poe has called those people uh... – Isabella Truthers, right, Bo? Did Ted, you have you endeared yourself to me with the, you endeared yourself to me with the pizza tank, but you have really found your way into my heart with your uh, your, your fighting against the the tide on Andy Isabella. I'm with you. And speaking of which, I and you 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 mentioned it. I like I I was prepared to really just make fun of Hunter Renfro at the Senior Bowl and think that he was terrible. Like he's this tiny little guy, uh, but. You know, I, every day I watched him, he was so impressive. He, he like you're you're exactly right. His he's so precise. He's he knows exactly what he's doing. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see you know what he can do at the next level. He'll probably go to the Patriots and and be great. Yeah, just got to uh, feed him whatever they're feeding those receivers at Ole Miss, and uh, he'll be fine. <laughs> well, Ted, uh, thank you so much for for spending time. Tell the listeners uh, how they can follow you on Twitter, and uh, of course, they can read you on the Athletic. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis. You can listen to my podcast, uh, Coffee House Sun, and obviously you can read my stuff on The Athletic.
Now, is it last question? Is it would you consider yourself a part of the Shilkapadia coaching tree? <laughs> uh, if if he shares his pizza with me, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great answer, Ted. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Ted. Well, that was delightful. Thanks again to uh, Ted Wynn. Sheila, I think that's going to do it for this episode. We're going we're gonna to break this up. We're going to come back tomorrow with some more of our thoughts on the wide receivers and the running backs and a little bit of uh, reaction to uh, the piece that you have going up tomorrow morning. Before we leave, are you prepared to name an official wide receiver of Birds with Friends? Well, I've got a few guys. I've got you will, I, I, will, I will tease you and tell you that uh, there are six players who wow. fit my criteria. And of those six, there are, I would say, two guys who I, who I am uh, leaning towards. So I'll be interested okay. to see what you think of those two guys. I have a clear-cut leader in the clubhouse, and I think it's going to be the same guy as you. Okay. Uh, and then I have, I really only have, I think, one other guy in the running. Okay. Yeah, so, okay, we okay. can do that. Uh, should I, can I flip a bird really quick? You can. Okay. So we had this, uh, you know, very nice thing. I, I hadn't been a part of it before called uh, a Poem in a Pocket in Media. Okay. Last Saturday. And what now for the is, new listeners, uh, media is the town you live in. What new listeners? Do you think <laughs> no, people, people are stopping listening? There's nobody new who is like, oh, I'll start listening now. Okay, well, maybe the Wynn family. Uh, maybe. Okay. Um, so for Poem in a Pocket, yeah, my hometown. So uh, my daughter, first grade. Now I feel like I have to explain everything like no one's listened before. Uh, she was part of this. And, you know, what you do is you go around to different businesses or uh, restaurants or stores the kid goes in reads them a poem and then that business gives them some type of treat or trinket or whatever it's a nice 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 little thing right mm-hmm. okay i feel like you're not listening or you've I'm... checked out or you've... okay no i like that idea <laughs> okay so uh you know took took naya on this last saturday going well she's reading the poem she gets a cookie i think one place was ice cream i have a question uh, like how, how long did you work on the poem what was the well the, they the did prompt? they did one as a class okay and so like all the first graders had one they could read she had one on her own that she was thinking of doing but she just stuck with the first grade one mm. so she she would read it she took the paper out uh read it uh to them so poets man you know you walk around you see a lot of ki- kids are doing this with their parents whatever uh, she wanted to go to Starbucks, uh, you know, not like a local place, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to – they were participating. You got a whole list of businesses that were participating. Uh, and this event was on both Friday evening and Saturday. Okay. So we end, we end up going Saturday afternoon. We walk in, and the guy says, oh, we're not doing the poem in a pocket thing anymore because we ran out of cake pops. What? I mean, are you are you serious? All these little small little that businesses, is... media—they're participating. They're giving stuff out. I mean, first of all, if you sign up, get enough freaking cake pops if that's what you're going to give. You don't out. have anything else in the back that you can give to a child. In the back, in the case, they got croissants, they got chocolate croissants, they got muffins, they got cookies, they got lemon cake. I'm furious. It's unbelievable. 
So they're on my list. Uh, the, offic- the official boycott. Oh my! I, the, I am. We are all birds with friends listeners. <laughs> we are calling on you now to yeah. boycott Starbucks. Please. That is, that is wretched. I mean, how much money does that make pl- oh place make on a daily basis? That is pathetic. Absolutely. Oh, uh, I'm with you. That is. I was furious. <laughs> I am furious. I like, oh man, I would if I was you, I would have been I would have been livid. I was about you know I really thought about making a scene. However, uh, it was me, Naya, and my mom, and uh, she was kind of over it anyway. I'm I'm we, assuming we, that that you took it the hardest. Naya was fine. I mean, she was fine, but I'm sure there's a little disappointment because you know she got plenty of other stuff. I'll tell you what, Dunkin' Donuts came through. They didn't run out of donuts. Mm, man. I cannot believe that performance from Starbucks. That is that is awful. My spot, Bittersweet Kitchen, came through. Nice cookie. They How about were very Burlap nice and to Bean? Her. Burlap and Bean said, "Sorry, we don't uh, we don't allow you to bring outside poems into here." I mean, she didn't even read her poem in Starbucks. Poems on our own. It was like uh, it was a preemptive. I can't believe that. Pathetic. That is that is truly pathetic. Grouse, bird flip. Yeah, whatever. totally. I had a bird to flip too, but it's not. It's not as. It's not as bad. All That's, right. Well, go. I can't. How could it be? Yeah, yeah, it couldn't be. My bird to flip is is. Um, you know, we complain a lot about uh, bad sort of brand Twitter on this show. We've we've done some complaining recently. Even worse than that is, and again, this goes into my CD past, Sheil. But you okay. know, in the past, when uh, when I was running a a promoted uh, tweet campaign. Oh, baby. My favorite topic here. One of my, uh, you know, one of my big pet peeves, and the thing that still just gets me going, is why are you promoting a tweet onto my feed that is like a real-time reaction to a sporting moment or event that happened days ago? What, like, it's like... uh, uh, wow, Virginia just took a just took a three point lead over uh, over Auburn, and it's Tuesday night. Like, why is this being promoted to my feed? End your promotions when they are time sensitive. I personally don't recall this ever happening to me. Really, <laughs> this happens to I, me all the time. It's like it's like two weeks later, and it's like a, it's some NFL highlight promoted to me from the NFL account, and it's it's something that like. Could not be less relevant. Well, maybe one of your old rivals has you on their radar, and I they're guess. doing this specifically to you. I, I don't know how that whole world works. Again, one of these days, we'll get a couple of drinks in you, and we'll have you open up on those uh, two years of your life. Oof. But uh, I know you've been very hesitant uh, until now. Uh, the last thing, uh, I believe last week I teased that I had a music lyrics thing, and then it never followed up, even though we talked for about two hours. Okay. You know how there are, you know how there are songs that like your whole life, you think it's a different lyric, only to find out years later that you were wrong. Sure. And it like doesn't even occur to you. There's, you know, there's a commercial from uh, uh, Shook Up Ramen. Pour some Shook Up Ramen. Yeah. I I discovered one of mine the other day. The song uh, Pump Up the Jam. You know the song from the nineties. Yeah. Jock jams. Yes. Uh, I thought that the hook went. Uh, I want a place to stay. Get your booty on your butt tonight. 
on your butt. That doesn't make any sense. Get your booty on your butt tonight. Get bo- what do they say? I get don't think I've ever known f- what Get it your is. booty on the floor tonight. Oh. Eh, your version's better. It doesn't make any sense, but I like my version better, too. Yeah. So, there you go. Okay. Hard-hitting stuff. It's good. Good way to close it. We we talked way too much about football in the segment with Ted. So I know that's right. Uh, okay, that'll do it for this episode of Birds with Friends. Back tomorrow with some more uh, focus on the wide receivers and running backs and the uh, top of the draft as a whole from Sheila and I. Sheila and me, rather. Thanks mm. again to Ted Wynn, and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow. And as always, we love you. <laughs>